Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. It's the unexpected return of the Stackwaddy game. Stackwaddy! So unexpected. So unexpected, in fact, is its return that I may actually have to refresh the memories of listeners as to what it is. Because there may be new people since we last did a Stackwaddy game. Do you know, I met somebody last night, a guy called Dave Allison, who's, uh, if he's listening, hello, Dave, he, he listened to every single one of the pods. And some of them twice. Oh, that's oh, fantastic, isn't it? How did he and look? It was really, and he asked me, where did Stackwaddy get its name from? Are you going to explain that now, Dave? Oh, well, yeah, okay, Stackwaddy got its name because Mark and I used to ban- banter around, bandy around the name Stackwaddy. And somebody got in touch and said, are you making it up? Um, was there really a group called Stackwaddy? Oh, I think we did a little quiz, didn't we? Which of these groups played the Heroes of Tomorrow tent at Wheelie Festival or something? And one of them was Stackwaddy. Oh, well, it could be. But anyway, Stackwaddy's been a standard joke for years and years. And, you know, this guy said, was there a real Stackwaddy? And then we said, yes, there was Stackwaddy. Made a number of albums on John Peel's Dandelion label in the late 60s. One of which was called Bugger Off. Absolutely. (laughs) And the mystery of why they never made it simply follows them down the years. So, uh, Stackwaddy as the idea of, of something so far-fetched in popular music that it can only be true gave birth to a quiz, uh, an example of which follows. Um, and so, Mark, I was happening to look at new, release, new releases this very week, actually, on streaming services from roughly the indie sector. Where I, th- I often look at the indie sector and I think, this is just fictional. <laughs> People are just making this up. Yeah, They're yeah. making up these names. So I've got five here, actually, Mark. I've got five new so albums. These are new albums, okay. New albums by indie groups. And you've got to tell me which one is the ringer, okay? So we begin. Are, are both the group and the title fictitious? Uh, they're, they're either both real or they're both fictitious. Okay. So in the, in the case of the fictitious one, it's entirely fictitious. So there's one fictitious one. Okay. Okay. So the first one released this week is the new album Pedestrian Verse by Frightened Rabbit. Pedestrian Verse. 
I frightened rabbit. <laughs> and then we move on to Eat Your Young by Hosier. Eat Your Young by Hosier. <laughs> and they're, they're so they're so appetizing, aren't they? They are. Must have that to the show. Must have. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Flicker by Death and Vanilla. Flicker by Death and Vanilla. Death and Vanilla. Again, very cheery. Very cheery. So indie. Moving on. UK Grim by Sleaford Mods. UK Grim by Sleaford Mods. And the final one is Mum, There's Nothing in the Fridge by Fluffy Bunny. Okay. <laughs> Mum, there's nothing in the fridge. My fluffy bunny. So, you've got to tell me which of those five has entirely well, been. Knowing you, I'm fairly sure I know the answer. Um, <laughs> because um, fluffy bunny was a kind of running gag in one of the magazines we worked on. I can't which way it was. So, and also, Sleep and Bots, I've heard of. Death and Vanilla, that's plausible, isn't it? There must be a group called Death Vanilla. It's fun, so funny. Eat Your Young, also. That's These are very contemporary names, aren't they? Yeah. Pedestrian Verse, by who is it? By Frightened Fright, Rabbit. Frightened Fright, Rabbit. Frightened Rabbit. Fright, 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 Frightened Rabbit. <laughs> I'm saying that uh, Mum, There's Nothing in the Fridge is possibly I'm made up. But it's, it's, it comes from the same... Some comes from the same emotional chord. It? it does, and you're absolutely right. Fluffy Bunny, I'm afraid, was a product of my imagination. Although the title, Mum, There's Nothing in the Fridge, reminds me of the story you used to tell me about your eldest son. About my eldest son. That's a true story. <laughs> I, 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 to remind everybody, I was, a brief period of my, of my life, I was working on a, in, the, in the fashion magazine world, which is hard to believe, I know. And I was at, I was at, a, I was at a, a meeting in Milan, uh, Paul Smith meeting. That's right. I remember it so vividly. And everyone was taking calls. And I was feeling a bit left out and feeling a bit unimportant. And suddenly my mobile went. I was so pleased. It was my oldest son, who didn't realise I was abroad, actually. He said, Dad, there's nothing in the fridge. <laughs> I said, I'm just going to take this call. I go, what do you mean there's nothing in the fridge? He said, there's nothing. There's plenty of food in the fridge. He said, there's nothing I like. <laughs> that was just brilliant. She must have been about, I don't know, 10 o'clock in the morning or something like that. He's probably hoping was so he was about 16. Cold pizza. He's about yeah, 16. So, yeah, okay. Yeah. So now he's got children of his own. So, you know, it's, the shoe is very definitely on the other I'm foot. Firmly on the other foot. Yeah, on the other exactly. foot. I and I must just add, Pedestrian Verse by Frightened Rabbit, which I was actually listening to uh, this afternoon. Quite liked it, actually. But I couldn't help noticing that the fourth line of the first song uh, on the first side, if it had sides, of their of their fourth album, which the first one signed to Atlantic, I think, you know, so it's there's kind of oh, proper okay. money behind them and so forth. Proper career, yeah. Uh, and the line, the the fourth line is fleck of sick on his shoe, fleck of sick on no, his shoe. You're there's an appetizing notion. No, <laughs> I think think of myself getting under the getting under the pegboard, uh, you know, hood in boots in Wakefield in 1964. Let us listen to the new album by so-and-so. And there you go, fleck of sick on your shoe. You know, think, oh, I must invest in that. Oh, it's then ND Records, I find, are now like student drama pre presentations used to be in the late 60s, early 70s, in that the important thing about them was not that they'd be entertaining at all, but simply that they piss off the right people. That's, yeah, yeah. that's what they're there to do. So, you know, long may frightened rabbit 
and Hosier and Death and Vanilla and Sleaford Mods and Fluffy Bunny continue to do so. The Word Podcast. Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. So both of us, I think, have, uh, have uh, had a little listen to... Uh, Songs of Surrender, the, the U2 uh, album, which came out, uh, released this morning, actually, to record. Uh, 40 tracks reworked, uh, mostly over lockdown. Uh, uh, Low-key, mostly acoustic kind of reimagined. A little bit like Shadow Kingdom, actually, the, the, the Bob Dylan venture of last year, I think. And, uh, you know, I, I, I thought that must have been fun to do. And essentially, it's just another way of doing a greatest hits, which is brilliant. It's a bit like an unplugged, actually. And I thought to myself, I thought, you two are basically, uh, basically about bluster and theatre and, and drama and volume and, and them being on the front foot. So it was kind of took a little readjustment to turn the whole thing into a kind of lean-in experience. But that said, I must admit, I, I mean, I've gotten rather fond of you two and I enjoyed a lot of it. You know, I thought the, uh, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, the kind of acoustic guitar version of With or Without You, same thing. The, the fly, the kind of, has been turned into a kind of low-key kind of funk uh, arrangement. Red Hill Mining Town from Joshua Tree, I've got a little brass arrangement on it. A couple of, th- a very nice stripped-down version of 11 o'clock TikTok. Um, I, Dave, I th- I mean, there were some that were a bit, a bit disappointing. I think Pride, is there enough of a song there? I don't know. Some things didn't really work. But I'm, I'm imagining that you're not quite as enthusiastic about this as I am. I don't know. I may be wrong. <laughs> I, mean, I, did, I, I did email you earlier and said, and said, let's talk about the U2 album. I'll be coming in off my long run. Oh, your long run. Cricketing <laughs> term there. <laughs> so, I thought it was quite interesting. I think everybody should hear it. Yeah. Because I think it tells you something quite profound about popular music, which is something that we've talked about from time to time over the recent weeks, actually, yeah. on this podcast. And I think this dramatizes it perfectly because they started doing this as, a, as an accompaniment to uh, Bono's memoir, which has a, a, a much admired audio version where he, you know, he, he talks about the talk, he talks the book and apparently very engaging. I haven't heard it myself. Everybody has heard it. It is it's really good. It's really engaging. And I'm sure, I'm sure it is. It's fantastic talk. And so they wanted to do this as, as part of that, but then it, it kind of, um, that, that, that didn't prove possible. And so you, what you've got now is the standard, um, exercise in, Artists attempting to do something um, which they will tend to call reclaiming their songs. Yes? Yeah. Which is, let's make them personal again. Yes, let's, let's take them back to their most basic. Let's reimagine them. And um, in my experience, reclaiming or reimagining songs invariably involves making them slower. Yes? Yep. I know hardly any example of it going the other way. It tends to mean doing them more slowly, appearing to do them more seriously, and and attempting to reacquaint you, the listener, with serious overtones and meanings in their songs that maybe you haven't noticed before. Because you've been doing too busy doing something that disturbs them. And this is it. You've been too busy enjoying yourself. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as you know, you're not here to enjoy yourself. You're here to listen to our new record. Yes. Yeah. And so what they've done is taken the latest songs, many of which are immensely entertaining in their previously recorded versions and are immensely rousing in their previously recorded versions and are, as you said yourself, very dramatic in their previous... Yeah, they're all about theatre, really. And making them, at a stroke, dull. D-U-double-L, dull. That's the truth. And the same thing would apply... This is not particularly a criticism of you, too. The same thing would apply with more or less anybody who tried to do the same thing. You know, if Bruce Springsteen went and did his Born in the USA songs with an acoustic guitar, well, he probably has done them at many points. You know, it's a, it's a tutorial which probably, you know, d- d- does his soul good to impart. We, the audience, find it pretty much without exception boring and dull because the truth about you too, and it's really interesting to me listening to these, these songs and these versions you know, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Or Beautiful Day is the most startling case of this. Because Beautiful Day, the record, which if we all closed our eyes now, we could hear it in our heads. Yeah. It would play in our heads. And there is a moment in Beautiful Day when the sun comes out. And that moment is sound on that record. And that moment is as much to do with who produced it as anything to do with you too. It's that's the key transformation. And so every great U2 record has a moment where it bursts out. It it just flares and it raises its game. And and that's what the record builds up to and builds and and, and slopes away from, if you like. And when it's just these poor naked forked songs, you don't have any of that stuff at all. And if you wanted an illustration of the fact that very often what we fall in love with on records is what artists very derisively refer to as the fairy dust, there is no better illustration of that than this record, Songs of Surrender. And I urge everybody to listen to it and tell me if I'm wrong. The Word Podcast. Clearly, there is no plan. I saw this tweet the other day from Matt Osmond, the, you know, the bassist of, of, uh, of Suede. And he, I think he made a really interesting point. He was talking about this, um, this group, Lust for Life, who've just been touring. And Lust for Life, as you know, is Clem Burke on drums and Glenn, Mac- Glenn Matlock and Katie Puckrick, who sang and performed with the Pet Shop Boys as, as the singer. And uh, a guy called Kevin Armstrong, who was the Iggy Pop and David Bowie yeah. band leader. Yeah. And uh, Louis, uh, Earl Slick's guitarist, Louis Correa, I think it is. And uh, Florence Sabiva of, of Heaven 17. And basically what they're doing is touring the album Lust for Life. Now, none of them, none of the people involved were actually involved in the making of that record. They're just touring that record. Now, obviously, that's happened before. You know, Rick Astley and the Blossoms have, have toured playing lots of Morrissey and Smith songs. And, um, you know, to some extent, 
Dweezil Zapper has almost done Hot Rats. But this is the first, and obviously bands have done their own albums. Craftwork and Blur and Suede have done their own albums in their entirety. But this is the first time I've ever run into the idea of somebody taking uh, an album and performing it as if it was a, a kind of touring dramatic uh, company doing doing a play. It's like it's yeah. like a performance of a play, don't you think? Absolutely. It's only like you know going to see the Mikado, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> like, Precisely. You that. know what you're gonna get. You know. Yeah, yeah. And, and I uh, thought the, well, the, the Mikado hasn't been performed by the original performers for quite a long time, has it? You know. No, it hasn't. Absolutely. That's what's going to happen with popular music in the future, isn't it? Yeah. You know? And I thought there must be other records that people are really fond of and that yeah. the original people, I thought number one record by Big Stars, but the first Ramones album, actually. First Ramones yeah. album. That's yeah. a really good example. It obviously can't be now performed by any yeah. of the members of the original group, you know. Yeah, yeah, I thought yeah. maybe what's going on. I thought Robert Johnson's King of the Delta Blues singers, possibly Pet Sounds, uh, Kick Out the Jams by the MC5, The Band's The Band. I mean, those are just people adore So them. the whole of The Band, now that's an interesting album. So that's, idea so second band album yeah we're talking so we're going to have it performed by musicians none of whom were members of the band and see that working actually. it would work wouldn't it you'd have to have a little bit of costume wouldn't you you'd have to have the right mustaches yeah and somebody would have to probably have to be wearing a bowler hat Yep. And, and an old pinstripe suit, you know what I mean? Then it would old probably, leather jackets. There would have to be a little bit of set dressing. Yep, yep. probably have a saloon doors, maybe even somebody in a rocking chair. Are you with me, you know? Yeah, completely. It's going to feel like a Robert Altman film. Dave Mattox might have to play like. the drums. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, Dave Mattox would be brilliant. Actually, would be. Actually, now, you see, you could do it with SARS. You, you see, you could go to Richard Thompson, Dave Mattox, Nick Lowe, yeah, I don't, know, I don't know, musicians of a certain age or a certain sort of simpatico, and you say, how about just doing the second band album? Sid Griffin. I, I think it'd be really good. Yeah, yeah, it would be. That'd be really it's fantastic. Good. I'd, yeah. I'd go. I, I think it's really it's interesting. I, mean, I think it's a question of of uh, uh, of just there are certain albums that that you know that even if the people involved who made them are still alive and toured them it wouldn't be as good as a load of people who really, really cared about it. Well, it's as it, you say. That's the difference, you know, because if you're... um, That's the difference between doing your own material and doing uh, and doing somebody else's, isn't it? You know, yeah, there, yeah, yeah. There is a question, there's an issue of respect, isn't there, if you're Absolutely. doing somebody else's. You've got to come up to standard, you know, whereas if you did it yourself, you just kind of think, oh, I can do this because I'm me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas if you're if you're approaching it from outside, you probably put in further effort. Now I can see that. I can see that definitely. It I'm works. Sure that, actually, Legion Leaf, Fairport Convention. Legion Leaf, absolutely. Somebody, somebody, there's probably bands doing Legion Leaf. Stone surely. Roses' first album. Yes. There must be actually. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there must be. Jethro Tull, stand up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I can see this. If you happen to know, listeners, of anybody who's doing this kind of thing, this important work, or, you know, if you've seen in examples of this important work yourself, let us know and we'll, we'll spread the word, won't we? Won't we, Mark? We will. <laughs> okay. So on the 22nd of March, 1963, which is how many years ago, Mark? It's 60, 60 years ago. 60 years ago. 
60 years ago, the Beatles' first album came out or was recorded? Came out. It was the day it was released, wasn't it? It was was recorded, I think, in February. It was released on the 22nd of March, that's right. I mean, which Mark Lewison described as being, he said there can scarcely have been 585 more productive minutes in the history of recording. <laughs> That's music. very well put. And I had just had a look at it actually this morning, the details of it. And I think we got to remind ourselves of what was achieved that day. That day. Which set is us, so set, incredible. Set aside one day, one, one day. day for doing your album. They had so to they, drive down from the north, I think. I don't know where they might have been in London. I'm not sure, but they got, well, they certainly got there anyway. They were, they started recording at 10 o'clock. So they probably yeah. were in London. John yeah. had a terrible cold. Yes. They'd already recorded PS I Love You and Love Me Too. So they were already. They were B sides. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. But they started the morning session at 10 o'clock and they recorded There's a Place and I Saw Her Standing There. Then there was a re- they had a lunch break and they had rehearsals where the Beatles just basically just barely ate anything and just sat there working through all the backing vocals of the, of the songs they're going to do that afternoon. In the afternoon, they did a taste of honey. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Do you want to know secret and misery? <laughs> then there was a break. The evening tea session. break. It's incredible. The evening session. Yeah, yeah, mugs of tea and stri- striped mugs, exactly. Yeah. The evening session was Anna go to him. Boys, chains, and baby, it's you. At which point, George Martin said, "That's not enough." That's it? not enough. Also, they recorded "Hold Me Tight," which they, which they, oh, didn't, they decided to hold. Yes, which they didn't use. I think they either used it later or recorded it. Was, recorded it was on. Uh, yeah, I think. Yeah, but yeah. for some reason, they still, having done three sessions, two two meal breaks in between, they still hadn't done enough. They not for the UK release, anyway. Not for the it's UK a, release, yeah, because that was a certain number well, of songs. Yeah, because yeah. American albums could be shorter, and in fact, were all shorter, because American publishers were paid on a different basis. That's why yeah, American, yeah, yeah. American versions of your favourite albums are all crap, because they're all shorter. Yeah. And, um, and so they repaired to, um, to the canteen downstairs... 
And Alan Smith, who we both know. That's right, from, Smith, the, from the NME. Was there and uh, whose who's wife or girlfriend at the time worked for the people, worked for Epstein, I think. And, uh, and they didn't know what to do. And Alan told me that he said, why don't you do that thing that sounds like La Bamba? And they said, what's that? And so he sang about it. He sang about it. They went, oh, it's Twist and Shout. Twist and Shout. And so they, just, they went back and they did Twist and Shout, which I know I'm bored for Britain on this subject. I think Twist and Shout is arguably the Beatles' most important single, single tune, single recording, because it proves once and for all, if you needed it proving, it's nothing to do with writing the song. Go and no, listen. Completely. Go and listen to the, the Isley Brothers' Twist and Shout. Go and listen to the other version of Twist and Shout that was a hit earlier that year. The Beatles' version sounds nothing like it at all, and the Beatles' version sounds like the arrival of something from the future. It sounds like something utterly transformational. Yeah. All the more amazing that John Lennon had no voice left. When he did, did it. one crack at it, they did try a second one. They gave two. up, didn't they? Yeah, they gave up. Just couldn't manage it. And and that was the tune that you know was the lead track on the EP Twist and Shout. And of course, the EPs were massively important in the Beatles story. Yeah, massively important because people couldn't afford LPs, so everybody bought Twist and Shout, whereas only. Wealthy Here it is, people. viewers. Just have to there have one go. by the desk. They, yeah. I've got one over there. I, As I, I always do. I've never got to, too far away. You yeah, know, break, yeah, yeah, yeah. In case of emergency, break glass. There you go. Twist and shout. It's so uh, true. It's like a the postman's the same, I think. Another another example of them just completely transforming a song by their own arrangement. Uh, by their own arrangement. And the fact that it sounds like, even though I'm, I don't think anybody was aware of it at the time, it sounds like a group who were both playing and singing. You know what I mean? Yeah. In a way that the Isley Brothers didn't at all. All right, I've forgotten who the other version was by. And listen, I, I yield to no one in my admiration of the Isley Brothers. I love the Isley Brothers. But go and listen to the Isley Brothers version and go and listen to the Beatles version. And there you hear the gigantic leap forward that took place in there. What was it, fourth session of that day? Astonishing. The fourth, fourth session. session. Absolutely, Absolutely amazing. Anyway, that came over what they could do. There's somebody posted uh, them in 1966 doing Nowhere Man yesterday, and I was looking at that, and there it is. Every single inflection, every little idiosyncrasy of the arrangement is all in there. Those fabulous bass parts, the, the lead solo, the final flourish with the Paul McCartney uh, harmony part. It, it, the fact they could even reproduce that on stage, astonishing, really. Yeah, it is, it is. So that came out on March 22nd, 1963. I thought it might be fun to look at what else came out on on March 22nd on subsequent years, just to, as a bit of a, you know, a, 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 an idea of... Yeah, good. Forward. So on the 20th, so Beatles, please, please me, 1972, 19, March 22nd, 1963. March 22nd, 1973... Roxy music for your pleasure. That's a hell of a distance in that's 10 amazing, years. Yeah, <laughs> it is. That's, is for your pleasure the one that's got in every dream home a heartache? Which I think it is. Yeah. It? Uh, yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, which is the one about the, uh, 
the blow-up doll. It's an inflatable doll. I an know. inflatable doll. astonishing that yeah. people should be re- 10 years yeah. later. A group, from, a group from the North yeah, in 1963 yeah, yeah. did, please, please me, a group from the North in 1973 did For Your Pleasure, rock yeah. music. 10 years later, March 22nd, 1983, ZZ Top's Eliminator. Yeah. And uh, the thing that absolutely transformed the fortunes of ZZ Top because it was the one that they sent out to make like a disco record. And they made sure, you know, it was all all done by sequencers. You know, it was no, nothing to do with an old rock and roll band. They were making it in a completely different yeah. fashion. And everything had to be a certain number of BPM, you know, because they'd, they worked out that that's what it took to get people on the dance floor. Anyway, 1993, March 22nd, we got Depeche Mode, Songs of Faith and Devotion, which is interesting because... On on the on the same date in 2013, we got Depeche Mode Delta Machine, and then then we got the same date in 20 on March 22nd this year, 2023, Depeche Mode Memento Mori. So they've obviously got some reason why they always release albums. There's something about that day, isn't there? There's something that day. The- well, it's, uh, well, it's near St Patrick's Day. I don't know if that if that makes not not that. Not that I believe Depeche Mode, particularly Irish. I've no reason to believe that at all. But Is it just it, before half term or something when people will be going out and buying? There must be some reason why people buy more records, you know. Okay. Who Mark, knows? Buying records nowadays, come on. No, it's, not now. I'm talking about then. It's gone like Morris dance. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's simply a memory. So, uh, yeah, that's. Uh, and isn't it interesting that, um, you know, Depeche Mode of all the groups are still going? After all this time. Yeah. This is a junction in the Word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. We talked to Peter Fincham the other day for a word in your attic. He was fantastic, actually. He Peter was Fincham, the uh, television uh, producer who uh, talked back, was responsible for, you know, the day to day and Alan Partridge and Buzzcocks and stuff. He was really brilliant. Also had a, an amazing office in his garden, didn't he? A kind of shed that had been wallpapered with old back numbers of the enemy and the military. Literally. Absolutely. Literally. Brilliant. The ceiling covered in old copies of the enemy. So, so basically, would look up I've, been, from, I've been thinking about it ever since, and I thought, I'd never get anything done. No, wouldn't you? Because I just looking looking up, lean back in my chair. Doing wings, metal fatigue. And all, those, right, yeah, all yeah. those features that you would never have read back in the day. I know. If they're on the on the roof of your shed 40, 50 years later, yeah. you'd read, wouldn't you? Extraordinary. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, he was great. And he, he had told this wonderful story. It just made me think a bit about the, uh, the, the, the powerful influence of mothers. And he was talking about how um, when he was, I can't remember how old he was. He was pretty young because it was in 1966 or 67, wasn't it? A bit later. He was 14, 15, I think. Yeah, 14, 15, that's right. No, it was a bit later, about 68. Um, that Jimi Hendrix played the Chiselhurst Caves in, in <laughs> Kent and he had a ticket. He had a ticket to go and see him and his mum wouldn't let him go. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic, and I was thinking that, that, that it's the it's the, 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 the this was coincided with my seeing a tweet about Dylan, and because uh, it's the anniversary in nineteen eighty two Eddie uh, of, of Dylan appearing uh, being inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame, and according to the executive director Randy Poe, he said Dylan only had one request, which was to ensure that you know that he he turned up basically, and his request was that he was taken he had his picture taken with a woman called Dinah Shaw. 
And Dinah Shaw was a, you know, a singer, an actress, TV personality. and sing with Big Glenn. band singer from Big, big Band Singer from the 40s. Glenn Miller. Sang with ben Glenn Miller. Miller. That's right, yeah, Dinah Shaw. Dinah Shaw, of course, not her real name. Dinah Shaw. Terrible pun. And he struck me a bit like Sandy Shaw. You know, yeah, Dinah yeah. Shaw. And, uh, but anyway, when asked why, he said, so that my mother will finally think that I am somebody. <laughs> I thought, that's great. Even Bob Dylan, you know, was going to somehow have to convince. So only when he's photographed with Dinah Shaw did you think, that my boy's made it. Maternal Brilliant. pride is, is a powerful, powerful force it is. in the universe, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, Dylan's mother's dead now, isn't she? She died about... She died soon after appearing in one of his videos, I think, actually. Okay, so maybe yeah. 10, 15 years ago. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I was reading a thing about her not long ago, and that obviously... She used to live in was Duluth, you know, yeah. in the, in Minnesota, and um, and later on Dylan moved her. I, I can't remember where, you know, to some uh, very obviously very nice, you know, accommodation somewhere else, quite a long way away from. But she used to come back to Duluth quite regularly, partly to see her old friends, you know, yeah, but partly because. She rather liked being in the local cafe and having young people coming up to her and saying, excuse me, are you really Bob Dylan's mother? You know yeah. I mean? And and she said, yeah, and, and having a picture, you know, having a picture taken with them. That, you know, if you're um if you're if you're Bob Dylan's mother, you don't really desperately want to be in a retirement community. Surrounded by people who, by virtue of their age, don't appreciate who you are. Bit, least impressed by the fact Absolutely. that you're Dylan's mother, <laughs> you know, because they just think, yeah. Hey, I think Tom Petty had a bit of a falling up. With his dad, he had a major falling up with his dad. Anyway, his dad oh, was he extremely did. unsupportive and yeah, very yeah. aggressively so about what he was doing for a living. But when Tom Petty made it to, to make it even worse, Tom Petty's dad would then hang around the local bars, waiting to be bought drinks and talk about his wonderful boy. Yeah. So there we are. In, insult meet injury. You know. Well, aside for Freddie Lennon, wasn't it John Lennon's father? Yeah. Buggered off to sea or whatever, and then well, my theory about. And returned with a with a kind of young girlfriend, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He was clearly trading heavily on the fact that my yeah. son is my son is a member of the Beatles, who he told he was going to introduce to John Lennon entirely. So, I always my theory about John Lennon that he probably wouldn't have done some of the things he did, you know, in his life, bagism and uh, you know what I mean, the bedding and all that. If he if he'd had if he'd had parents, actually. well, neither you know. John nor Paul had had a mother, had a mother. Well, you know, yeah. where they, they were never famous with a mother. Yeah, and and becoming famous with a mother has to be a huge thing, an absolutely huge thing. You know, it it, it vindicates everything you've done. Yes, yeah. all the unpleasant, difficult things. You've yes, done, <laughs> suddenly at a stroke, forgiven, and you know that's why you know people build their mothers mothers bungalows. Or yeah, you know, or whatever you know. It's a really important thing to do, isn't it? You know? It is. <laughs> it, it restores it restores harmony in the universe, doesn't it? You know, absolutely. And and if there was nobody, John and Paul could go back to and say, "Look what I did." You know, look, look, master. Well, he did it with Mimi, didn't he? Bought her a That's bungalow, didn't he? He did. Yeah, he exactly did. the same thing, and just desperately seeking her approval. You know, which you would I, do. I mean, you would do, wouldn't you? Yeah, you, you would. Of course, you would do. 
You would do. Brock, I mean, listen, Neil there's an old, old friend of ours, there's an old mutual colleague of ours from Smash Hits, won't mention his name, posted a picture the other day of his son with a gold disc. Yes? Yes, he did. And, you know, justifiably proud of the fact that his son, had, you know, had a gold record, you know. That kind of thing is really powerful, isn't it, you know? It is. It's the relationship between, you know, the, the musician and the... The parent and what the parent gets from that is a huge thing. Yeah. As per Mrs. Dillon, you know. And another old pal of ours from Smash It's, I remember uh, Neil Tennant telling, telling us that, uh, that what it's like, the, the, the effect of, of, of your being constantly aware of what your parents think of, 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 of your work, basically. And he said he knew his mother was in the audience once at Wembley Arena and went on stage and they had a particularly risque set of dancers doing these, uh, these erotic and suggestive dance moves. And he was just consumed with embarrassment throughout the entire thing about the idea that his mum was going to be in the audience. And I could imagine it being very, uh, yeah, being very restricting, actually. I was sympathetic. The Word Podcast. Two cocoa tins and a piece of string. Any other business where we're joined by Alex Gold. How are you, Alex? Hello, I am well. I am currently floating uh, next to the Dominican Republic. Very good. Not, not all of it, just a little bit of it, mind you. So you're not wearing a gilet as Dave is? <laughs> there is no gilet present on my person today. No gilet. <laughs> I won't be no, for the next two weeks. That's that Phil Collins' album, No Gilet Required. <laughs> required. So, um, Alex, we were talking about and singing the praises of and saying people don't sufficiently recognise the massive importance of Twist and Shout in, in the Beatles' oeuvre. Say it again. Earth. Earth. And I wondered if you, in your um, fabulike uh, persona as, as John Lennon, in your floating Beatles band out there opposite the Dominican Republic, ever play Twist and Shout in the set? <clears throat> actually, well, well, actually, Dave, you know, we, we, we play it... <laughs> About three or four times a week, because um, in various settings, always as an encore, always as the last song, because there are some songs in this planet that just got some alchemical quality to them that makes people <clears throat> react in a certain way. Like the, the chorus of Country Roads is, is one. Never fails. Mustang Sally, that's another one. These are absolute never fail go-tos yeah. for any musician and you can play yeah. them anywhere in the world and it will always work in the same way twist and shouts one of those songs and there's just something about it that makes people instantly get out of their seats and start shaking themselves like there's no tomorrow you know um it's bizarre because it's it's not a fast song and it's not particularly danceable no, but it's not. Just something in it. <laughs> it's about it, dancing, it, but it's not particularly danceable. That's that's really good. Well, yeah. was it was twistable back in the day, actually. Yeah, <laughs> that's rather gone by the board. But here's the interesting point. So, all these years after the Beatles, you know, jacked it in, you and many other musicians are somewhere around <laughs> the world celebrating the legacy of the Beatles. Yes. To varying different standards, nowhere as good as you, I'm sure, Alex, but, you know, to varying different <laughs> standards. And what are they all got in common? They're pretty much all finishing with Twist and Shout. Yes? 
I rest yep. my case. Because if you didn't, the tables would go over, wouldn't they? <laughs> You've got to. <laughs> <laughs> what the people want is absolutely fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. So what else have we got to talk about? Um, we should plug forget- Norman Blake. It's obviously we did a little interview with Norman Blake of uh, Teenage, Teenage Fan Club, who's very, very good. Yes. Really good. Talked about serving... John Martin when he worked in a music shop and uh, it's lots of really good stories. Because they're on tour later in the year. Yeah. We also recorded the chat with <laughs> very occasionally <laughs> Mark and I, we did these recordings with people who let's say venerable legends of a certain age and Mark and I get on on a Zoom call afterwards and we sound we sound like our wives really going, my God, he looked good didn't he? Didn't he look great? <laughs> <laughs> he looked great. And this was Paul, Paul, Paul Jones, Jones of, of uh, Man, Man for a Man. He, he looks absolutely My yes. God. And, the, and you worked out he's how old? He's about to be 82 person. and he looked about 17. He looked fantastic. <laughs> and he was really great. Fantastic. Really good. Cover. He always looked great back in yeah, the day. But by God, he still looks good. Yeah, he did. And he was terrific. And the Manfreds are going on tour. And I think actually we persuaded him in the course of our chat that they had to start their shows with five four three two one, <laughs> which may be somewhat difficult musically, but is obviously the way to begin. You know, particularly if they're playing that's how they Friday night Steady gigs. Go. Exactly, because that was, the weekend starts here. Yeah, 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 it, wasn't yeah. It? So what else have we done? We've also spoken to Mick Houghton. Our old friend Mick Houghton has written a terrific book about Andrew Lauder. <laughs> Who some of you may know as the 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 legendary, I say legendary, but still with us, uh, legendary A and R man who signed Orquin, Brinsley, Schwartz, Doctor Feelgood, all kinds of people throughout a very distinguished career, and uh, had a, a really interesting person <laughs> who knew a lot about music and about records. Yeah, and he's was really kind part of the whole DNA, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, the independent yeah. labels and, and uh, all and vinyl collecting. So Mick's written that book, so we talked to him about that, and so that'll be coming up soon. Uh, what else have we got coming up? We've got, don't forget to get your tickets, Alex, for um, June the 3rd, Indeed. isn't it? June the 3rd, Word in the Park is returning, um, okay. and we'll be sending out a whole load of information about the specifics of the day as we go. Yes. Uh, but tickets are now but officially on sale. don't forget to get sale. your tickets. They're all already on sale and the, the link has been provided, I think probably to Patreon supporters and uh, we'll be going out further sometime in the next week. Is that fair? This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.